You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, Current Issues, sharing today a lesson entitled, Who's Fat? For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. What does the Bible say about weight, about overweight? This is a podcast I've been looking forward to recording for quite a while, and I've entitled it, Who's Fat? Perhaps I feel moved to do it right now because I've just returned from a very poor country. I've come from Haiti, where most people struggle to even have one meal a day, and certainly very few have a diet anything like that that most of us have who are listening to the podcast. We may be struggling with overweight, obsessed with appearance, comparing ourselves to athletes, actors, and models, and not being happy about how we look. Does the Bible actually say anything about fat, about the ideal body shape? And I don't mean about eating fat. It was forbidden in the Old Testament, but obviously many foods, even some vegetables, have fat. It was the consumption of pure fat that was forbidden in Leviticus. And that was part of the kosher law. Just because the kosher law has been repealed doesn't make me want to go out and eat fat. But that's not what this podcast is about. I'm talking about you and me, what we look like. Is there even one verse? There's an amazing silence on this topic in Scripture. You might think of Eli. In 1 Samuel 4.18, when Eli hears bad news, he Well, let me just read the passage. 1 Samuel 4.18. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. Now this fellow was so big on his chair, when he fell off, he snapped his neck. I don't know if that was only because of his weight, or maybe that was just a contributing factor. But even here, he's not condemned for being large. However, he had fattened himself from the offerings of the people, as we read in chapter 229. The oracle says, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for the dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. In other words, Eli and his sons were eating well. They were living high on the hog. I guess it's not a very Jewish metaphor. But they were eating very well because when people came to the tabernacle to offer their sacrifices, every time they did that, uh, Eli and his sons got some food. And just about Eli's sons, chapter 2, verse 12. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, 
let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want. The servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. And so really only indirectly are they condemned for their diet or eating fat. The sin here is oppression. They are not living in, with respect and love um, and, and in an honorable way as leaders of God's people. That's the sin. Now there is a, probably the most immensely fat man of the Bible is Eglon. We read about him in Judges 3. I won't read the graphic account, but this is the man who was assassinated by Ehud. And it says he plunged the sword in him and, and the, uh, his fat on, in his belly basically swallowed up the sword and it closed over it. And it's a pretty disgusting image. But still, we find no condemnation of his great girth. It's really just mentioned in passing. And this is because, biblically speaking, there is no ideal body shape. And, moreover, what's appealing in one generation or culture may be appalling in another. Fashions change. Dieting is a modern obsession, peculiar to the rich and the well-fed. Let me go to the prophet Amos. Once again, no comment on the ideal body shape, but it is an interesting metaphor that the prophet uses when he's uh, challenging the wives of the rich men who exploit the poor. These are the upper-class women that the prophet is laying into. Amos 4.1 Hear this, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, Bring us some drinks. The Sovereign Lord has sworn by His holiness the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks. Well, the excerpt I read is from the 8th century prophet Amos. And he's preaching in the northern kingdom of Israel, the capital of Samaria. And these women are really accomplices. They're in it with their husbands. And he, he accuses them of oppressing the poor, crushing the needy. And uh, they want their drinks. They want their nice lifestyle. you read more about that later on in Amos. But he calls them cows of Bashan. Now that is quite an image. The prophets were colorful, weren't they? We find this kind of prophetic language also in the New Testament. I'd like to read from James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, The wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So again, the only condemnation vis-a-vis the fat in the New Testament is that these people are oppressing they are oppressing the poor. They're benefiting from a system and, uh, that, that crushes the needy, and they don't care about it at all. And, and that's something that seems to raise 
the ire of God. Back to the Old Testament again. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel 16.49 Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Perhaps I'm being a bit repetitive, but there's no ideal body shape. We can't use the Bible to tell us what we should look like or what size we should be. However, there are strong warnings towards those who are overfed, in essence, at the expense of those who have nothing. Oppression is the issue. Lack of love, lack of care for others. There's one very important biblical principle that I think does apply to the discussion, though. And that's that of stewardship. We've been given something we need to take care of. God always expects us to do well and to make a return and to show responsibility. We see that, for example, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 4. Those who are given a trust need to prove trustworthy. One thing we've been given that we need to take care of is our body. And we'll look in a moment in 1 Corinthians 6, the passage where the body is said to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's just one other thing in 1 Corinthians 4 I might point out, and that's uh, verse 4 that talks about the conscience. And there are a lot of scriptures that talk about the importance of keeping our conscience clear. And so if you're listening to this and you don't have a good conscience because perhaps it's a lack of uh, industry or um, Maybe you do struggle with your weight, or maybe you're just not very active. Uh, Realize that when we hurt our conscience, uh, there are spiritual um, ramifications. So there are these indirect principles we can use, even if there's nothing direct. Okay, I'm in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. To be fair, this is a passage encouraging Christians not to be involved in prostitution, sacred prostitution which occurred in the context of pagan meals, where they offered meat to idols and they they had a big feast. It's something that we may not be very familiar with today, but it was very common in New Testament times, just as in the Old Testament, for example, Numbers 25. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6.12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. This was a saying Apparently, the Corinthians were throwing around. But I will not be mastered by anything, says Paul. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. Now, I could stop right there, but then I wouldn't be explaining the context correctly. And he's talking about Christian liberty, as he is in this entire section, from 1 Corinthians 8.1 to 1 Corinthians 11.1, and the importance of our being willing to give up liberties at times. So, Things may be permissible, but we don't want to be mastered by anything else. Food for the stomach, stomach for food. And then he says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And then he continues to talk about the incongruity of joining the body of Christ to a prostitute. And then we come to the more familiar part. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Well, 
you and I have to figure out what this means in our lives. The principle of stewardship. The principle that our body, if we're Christians, harbors the Holy Spirit, which makes it a kind of temple. And we don't own ourselves. We may have certain natural rights, human rights, constitutional rights, but ultimately the one who owns us is the Lord. And we were bought at a price. And that's why we need to honor God with our body. So I guess the question is, am I honoring God with my body? Am I bringing honor or am I bringing reproach? And I would encourage you, if you are convicted and you want to go further, uh, definitely look at the, this whole section, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 11, 1. And there's so many important passages about limiting our freedoms for the sake of others and for the glory of God. There's another reason that we need to take care of ourselves. And that's the example we uh, may have, um, uh, we may be setting for others, how we affect them. And it certainly includes our children. I remember back when our kids were all school age. And I asked them one time, how would they feel? I was just wondering. If I went to school, I, you know, that is, I visited them in their classroom or volunteered or I came to pick them up, and, and they saw their daddy with a big pot belly. Because I, I knew some, some of the dads looked like that. And I asked them, well, how would they feel if I came in looking like that? And it was very interesting. Um, not just my son, but especially my daughters went, ooh, gross. Oh, ooh, don't do that. And I said, so it would matter. They said, yes, we we would be so embarrassed. Well, that's interesting. I, I don't know if people always say what they think, but they were very honest at that moment. And it reminds me that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Nine of the fruits of the Spirit are mentioned in Galatians 5 and uh, verses 22 and 23. But self-control is the ninth one in the list. For me, that means even if I'm tired, I've got to keep trying to stay active and busy. Sometimes I, ha- I really just have to exercise or I've got to go for a walk. For me, I know I need to be at a certain, uh, generally a certain weight. Because if I get much over 100 kilograms, that's 220, I feel a bit sluggish. It's not a bad weight for, for my body frame. I'm 193 centimeters, so that's a 6'4". So for me, 220, 95 kilograms, uh, you know, 210, 220 is fine. Under that, I look kind of skinny. Over that, uh, it's really not necessary. Now, where, do I get that from the Bible? No, that's just me. And that's why I hate those charts where they, you know, you put in your height and your, uh, well, whatever else they ask you. And then they say, oh, well, you weigh too much, you weigh too little. How do they, how do they know what my body frame is? How do they know about my metabolism? Plus, a lot of that is just culturally based. So I don't want us to get weirded out by that. But just because there are no Bible verses saying what we should weigh or what shape we should be doesn't mean that we can disregard clear biblical principles, the principles of stewardship, honor, uh, example, how we affect others, and so forth. I would like to suggest uh, three reasons to stay trim, whatever that means. And again, uh, you've got to figure out what that means in your life. First, Our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And just knowing the Lord is living in us uh, should be in the back of our mind. It should mold and shape um, our our character. It should affect our thinking. It should inform decisions we make that affect the body. Secondly, we should take care of ourselves because of example. 
We would want to do anything that would impede the gospel or that would make it difficult for others to take us seriously um, as ambassadors for Christ. The third reason, and this is the one that occurs to me just coming back from Haiti, is out of respect for those who have nothing. Again, this obsession with dieting, um, even the problem of overweight, is a very, a fairly modern obsession peculiar to the rich and the well-fed. In most of the world, and in probably most countries I visit, it's really not an issue. Because the issue is simply finding food. It's not eating too much. It's eating enough in the first place. And so I'd suggest that there is a biblical reason for staying in the trim. And that's out of respect for those who have nothing. I hope it's been interesting. I know it was an interesting title, Who's Fat? I pray that in some way it'll be useful or bring a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on current issues. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.